Ladies and gentlemen, I like to think I live life by certain events now and again. And boy, oh boy, Friday, my Friday agenda, mm mm mm. That, my friend, is a, an event and a half. In the words, public enemies Chuck D, bring the noise. Fifth End Podcast Network. I'm Charlie Taylor. And this is Bosco. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Let me tell you about my Friday coming up. When this episode drops the day after, let me tell you about my Friday, right? So I have to get in London at around nine, okay? Um, to hit up uh, the Truman Brewery. Um, so uh, this is a place in Brick Lane. And uh, for the whole day, for most of the day, majority of the day, uh, I'm going to be there in the vicinity, um, peeping uh, a ton of just Top Boy related events. As you guys know, Top Boy is coming so- is kind of season two, technically season four, uh, compared to who you are, depending on who you are, um, is dropping in a couple of weeks this month on Netflix, right, worldwide, and your boy is going to be on that trust me like a fly on shit right um so i got word i got word the other day that uh, there was going to be some uh, top boy related events going on so uh, throughout the whole day there's going to be panels uh, with the cast right and uh, workshops in between uh, about certain things uh, related to top boy um and I was just like, yes. I, I, w- I woke up that day, I was just like, ready to get that ticket, and that shit was free, general admission for the whole day, free? I'm just like, damn, that's that's just, you can't not snatch at that, especially, if you've, if you've watched Top Boy and have some reasonable enjoyment of it, and you, you are able to travel to London on Friday, oh my god, why, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life, honestly? Um, so yeah, I can't wait for that, but ladies and gentlemen, that's just not it, that's not just what I'm doing on Friday, it's just not it, it's not just, oh, that's not my whole day, that's not my whole day, right? So I end the night hitting up the Jazz Cafe, the greatest venue in the world, right? I'm hitting that up, and I'm going to see a bit of Blue Lab Beats, I'm going to see a 20 minute set from them, I'm going to see a little cypher session afterwards, and I'm going to see a couple more rising uh, jazz uh, related artists there, and it's just going to be outstanding, I can't freaking wait, it's going it, to, that, that, the, Friday is that day, right, where that's what I want my life to be in the future, honestly, honestly, right, if, anything out of anything you know every everything in life right you know you can set goals or whatever right you can uh you can map out your life however you want for me i just want this simple thing i want to be able just to, just to be able don't care how i get how i get to this place right whether it's yeah don't get don't care how i get to this place but this is the this is the life i want okay i want the ability you just the ability, you know, don't have to do it, but I just want the ability to do this, right? I want the ability to look at any given week, peep a show, or peep a, you know, or peep a workshop, peep a, just, just an event, right? Just an event to go to, right? Just a, you know, a festival, a show, it doesn't have to be music-based, right? Sports event, whatever. I want to hit up an event, a general event, 
And I want to be able to do that at least once a week. That's all. That's all I want in life. I just want to have once a week to be able to hit up something that you wouldn't be able to hit up anywhere else. You know, at any given time. I just I, I, Even random ones. I just want to like go out to somewhere and then just see something, you know, advertised. And I'm just like, you know what? That's cool. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that tonight. Something like that. You know what I mean? I just want the ability to do that. That's all I want in life. Simple as. Don't care where I'm at. Right? Where I'm living. That's what I want in life. Okay? I don't know how I'm going to get there. But that's how. That's what I want. That's simply all I want. I just want the ability to see something. Say, I want to go there. Copy it. And go. Boom. Don't, uh, don't care if it's on my own. Don't care if whoever who it's with. I just want to be there. I just want to be there. Have a good time. And spend the night there. You know, that's all I want. Or spend the day there. That's, that's that's all I want in life. Simple, right? I feel like. I feel like simple goals like that are just the best. Because, you know, you, you it's, it's open. You don't know how you're going to get there. But you know what you want on that front. You know? I know what I want. There's, there's, there's plenty of shows that I want to hit up this year. Right? I'm going to hit up a couple of them. But not all of them. But I want the ability to, if I wanted to, which obviously in this case I do... I want to hit up every single show. I want to hit up that Koji Radical Brixton. I want to hit that Makaya McRaven show going on in, I think, October, November time. I want to hit up Moses Boyd. I want to hit up, uh, uh, who else? I want to hit up uh, Aluya. Uh, I want to hit up Leanne Havis at Coco. I want to do that. I want to do all of that. I want to hit up Cross the Tracks, which I actually am doing, and I'm, I can't fucking wait, right? You know what I mean? I want to do that every, I want to do that once a week. And not. And again, not just for music. So maybe maybe I just want to hit, hit up a Chelsea game. You know what I mean? Something like that. Maybe I want to hit up a basketball game. Something like that. You know? Just just stuff like that. Just that that's what that's what wakes me gets me up in the morning. Just just that that ability to wake up and to say, damn, I got sh- I'm I'm hitting up a show I'm hitting up like a show tonight and it's gonna be great. It's gonna be amazing. Gonna spend, I might I might just spend the day just do just doing stuff. Get something to eat before the show, something like that. You know what I mean? That's what I want. That's the life. And on that front, let's get into the show. So this episode is going to be all uh, female-centered. Um, I think the articles are written by three females and one male, so I didn't get that perfect. Um, but the story is just, uh, it's just you, you'll understand when I get to it. Um, and yeah, you know, it's a good mixture, I think. Um, all, all women-centered, all female-centered. Um, some positive in terms of just, you know, a bit of levity in the episode, some a bit dark. I'm going to start off with the more darker ones. Um, in the more um, pertinent, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, topics uh, first, but you know, we're going to end on something light as well, so that's that's good. Um, so, but yeah, you know, just uh, LC International Women's Day came and went, um, which uh, yeah, I came and went, and uh, you know, obviously it's Women's History Month, so I thought this week let's get into some female stories, and uh, I think I've I think I've done well here. I think I've done well. Um, I would probably wouldn't read these stories if I didn't actually actively look for them. Um, so yeah, you know, it's, it's all good in the hood. So that's Without further ado, let's jump right in. Uh, for Wednesdays, before we begin, email to the IG, you just gonna all that, all that in the full show notes. Please go peek the articles for yourself, give them a read, and support the writers that make this show possible. And with that said, let the beat drop. Let's get into the show. In a week where Australian cricket legend Shane Warne dies at age 52, 
WNBA star Brittany Griner has been detained in Russia for the past month and uh, nobody got news of that until three weeks in, um, so that's interesting. Uh, world total COVID-19 deaths reaches 6 million. Dizzy Rascal is found guilty of assaulting his former partner and uh, along with that he also, as he came out the courtroom, uh, fucking whapped uh, some dude's camera and then yeeted it across the street, which... I mean, while I feel bad for the guy, you know, that was definitely a few bags that that, that camera looked, uh, you know, relatively, you know, expensive. Um, the dude didn't have a strap. So if you, if you ain't, I have a strap, right, for my camera. It's, it could be tedious sometimes, right, just having it around your neck and da da da. But it's, it works, you know what I mean? And people, and if, if someone wumps out your hand, like some people can be cunty and do, then it will still be around my neck, right? It's fine, safe. Um, so like some, it's like how some people have a strap uh, with their phone. Sometimes they just they just feel they need to be safe on that front. And I get it, right? I don't do it with my phone, but I do it with my camera. That's for damn sure. Um, but yeah, the, the the dude just fucked up. Like he 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 was in Dizzy Rascal's face right after getting a guilty verdict. And you know, while I while it's obviously wrong for Dizzy Rascal to you know clap that dude's camera out the of his hand and then yeah, <laughs> opposite uh, the opposite side of the road, you know. If you had a strap, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be like that. So you know. And lastly, first person to receive a pig heart transplant dies two months after surgery. So uh, yeah, back to the drawing board on that one. So let's begin our all female show with uh, the education. And um, as you know, I like to um, you know preach education in every facet of life and improvement on education, every facet of life. Because if you improve on education and the education system then the youths will be fine and they will become better people than we ever were. Um, so this is leaning towards the, uh, the you know, just um, Sarah Everard and um, and uh, it was a, it was been, it's been a year since her murder. Um, this was dropped in the 2nd sec- uh, of March. Um, but yeah, this is more about um, the, uh, the, the misogyny in schools and, uh, you know, just... Educating your sons, as uh, this uh, feature image uh, says, uh, as I as I look at it right now. Um, so yeah, this is called the government vowed to tackle misogyny in schools. Teachers say little has changed. Uh, this is by Miss Sarah Wilson via the Big Issue, and um, yeah, as I shut off the cookies and uh, shut off the other email stuff, let's jump right in. In the year since Ever- Sarah Everard was murdered, Lucy Spicer and Alice Alice Phoenix have been on a mission to combat misogyny in schools. Quote, bringing up feminism tends to get a negative reaction. Students will tell me they don't want to be feminist. Feminists want too much. They're asking for too much, Spicer says over Zoom. I've had a lot of questions about consent while someone is drunk or boys asking what happens if a girl sleeps with them, then says it's rape later on. Phoenix chimes in. I'm not actually sure where that second assumption is coming from, unquote. Spicer and Phoenix, both educators at Social Enterprise Shoutout UK, have been running consent classes in partnership with campaign group Reclaim These Streets for the past seven months. The classes came in the wake of Sarah Everard's murder, followed by thousands of anonymous submissions to website Everyone's Invited, detailing widespread sexual violence in UK schools. Both groups felt better education around consent, sexual harassment, and healthy relationships was why it uh, was desperately needed. Side note, um, just something I thought, thought about. I genuinely think that I May Destroy You, the show by Michaela Cole, should be on the curriculum in some fashion. I genuinely think that. I, I feel that that show really is that good. I feel like it should be there. Um, and and just have, you know, watch an episode and have, uh, 
you know, teachers, you know, asking them how they feel about it, breaking it down, you know, as it pertains to Michaela's character, as it pertains to a uh, Papi, uh, I forget, I'm, I'm, I'm going to butcher his surname, Essidu, um, his character, you know, stuff like that, and um, Tracy as well. I think her name's Trace, I forget. Um, but yeah. I feel like that'd be perfect. Anyway, let's continue. Teachers and teaching unions have been calling for a national strategy on tackling sexism in schools for some time, both to mitigate the high levels of sexual harassment in schools and to prevent violent offending by men later in life. In 2000, uh, 2021, you say 2021, like a like a demon, uh, more than half of girls reported that they had been sexually harassed in their school, college, or university. A year has now passed since Sarah Everard was murdered. In that time, according to femicide website Counting Dead Women, at least 81 have been murdered where a man is the primary suspect. Each time an assault on or murder of a woman hits the headlines, political enthusiasm for tackling misogyny through the education spikes. The fear of educators like Spicer and Phoenix is that it doesn't last long enough. Beyond the headlines, campaign groups and educators fear a lack of support for teachers and a deprioritization of tackling misogyny in schools is hampering progress on stopping sexism where it first takes root. It's not all bad news, says Spicer, who believes that the conversation has started in schools since Sarah Everard's murder and everyone's everyone's invites with many young people attuned to the issue of sexism in and outside of schools. She points to the fact that in 2020, Relationships and Sexual Education, RSE, was made uh, mandatory for all UK schools. For the first time ever, issues like consent, domestic violence and healthy relationships were included in Department of Education guidance. The problem is, says Spicer, teachers are given almost no support in delivering this curriculum to their students. Quote, where's the funding and training for teachers? You can't just assume they're suddenly going to be consent experts. How do you prevent potential biases or giving them or, or them giving inaccurate information if you aren't supporting them properly, she says. Uh, importantly, is schools themselves being asked to develop a curriculum based on government guidelines with no information included about when or how certain topics should be covered? Quote, the government thinks its job, uh, its job is done, Anna Burley, uh, co-founder of Reclaim These Streets, says. Uh, continuing on with the quote, it feels like a slightly throwaway commitment saying schools will deliver this new curriculum, but we're not going to help them to do so, uh, she adds. In June 2021, Department of Education, uh, I could I could say D of E, but that's, that's associated with something else, uh, announced that school and college leaders would be trained in dealing with sexual harassment and supporting delivering new RSE through being, quote-unquote, encouraged to dedicate an inset day to this purpose. The measures came after assurances from Education Minister Gavin Williamson in March 2021 that no school should be a place, quote, where young people feel unsafe, unquote, or where abuse could take place. Yet, evidence suggests that the quality of RSE received by 16 and 17-year-olds has regressed since 2019. In a survey of 1,000 16 and 17-year-olds, the Sex Education Forum found that half received no RSE whatsoever during lockdown in 2021. Of those who did, just 29% rated it as good or very good. Coronavirus is partly to blame for this state of affairs, yet Spicer says anxiousness among teachers also fuels a reluctance to deliver comprehensive RSE. Quote, we're still debating whether we can even talk about misogyny or feminism, says Spicer. Teachers feel it's a subject it's a subject they don't want to touch because they don't want to say the wrong thing. And then what ends up happening is they don't say anything at all or just skirt around it, unquote. These fears are unlikely to be assuaged 
uh, by recent guidance from the Department of Education on political impartiality in schools, which warned that teachers must adopt a balanced presentation, quote-unquote, of opposing perspectives in the classroom. Spicer fears that in the absence of a safe environment to discuss sensitive issues like consent, porn, sex and misogyny, kids are turning to the internet for answers, with some ending up in dangerous places as a result. Quote, Incels, involuntary sevenbirds for no, 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 are looked upon as extremism rather than as a problem of consent, she says. If boys aren't taught about healthy relationship, rejection and consent, they might go online to find answers and come across really extreme misogyny. That's how radicalization begins, unquote. It's not just incel culture either. The internet has generated entirely new categories of sexual harassment from digital flashing to revenge porn, while sexist video tips from pickup artists wait on YouTube for young men to stumble across. I have never heard of digital flashing. How does that work? I'm, I'll look that up later. Quote, uh, if you're not teaching RSE properly in school, the question you have to be asking is, where are your students learning it from, she, uh, Spicer says. Uh, it'll be on TikTok or the internet or with boys in heterosexual relationships. The onus will often be on girls to say no or have to set boundaries, uh, she adds. Even where RSE is taking place, Spicer and Phoenix believe online harms uh, remain uh, a severe blind spot with guidance failing to keep up with the lives of uh, the, the live students are living online. Quote, Often the curriculum is very outdated, so they'll talk about grooming in the traditional sense, not, but, not, but not talk about OnlyFans, Spicer says, referring to a recent investigation which discovered explicit content from under-18s on the site. Oh boy. Yeah, OnlyFans. Excuse me, don't like that. Uh, in the case of Sarah Everard, I was shocked more wasn't, ama- wasn't made of the WhatsApp chats calling him cousins, uh, the rapist, she adds. Yeah, I, I heard about that too. I saw that on the news. I was just like, excuse me? You, you, like, dudes... You, imagine that. Imagine you're calling your mate the rapist. Like, that's just... That's a that's a that's a level of comfortability I've I've I never want to be in. That's crazy. Um, you're right, the rapist? No, it's not gonna. No, I'm not gonna do that. Uh, his online behavior, like my mates, no. You know what I mean, you're not doing that. That ain't happening around here. The homies ain't doing that. Anyway, his online behavior that should have uh, been addressed uh, before he did what he did. Unquote. On other occasions, sexism sexism can be harder to spot in the con- uh, content accessed by young people online, says Kirsty Ruthven, head of education at General Equality Charity Lifting Limits. Quote, my son loves his YouTube videos, which look really innocent on the surface, but there are some where a group of six young men and two women do pranks, but the women are also the butt of the jo- always the butt of the joke, always being laughed at, she says. On the surface, that might seem innocuous, but you have to ask what message that might be sending, unquote. Lifting Limits uh, delivers workshops on gender stereotyping to primary school educators with the philosophy that violence against women and girls, often short to VAGW, uh, can often be tracked back to our truth picked up in childhood. VAGW doesn't start, uh, quote, VAGW, VAGW doesn't start with a murder or an attack on a woman. A lot of it has to do with our view on gender, which is often formed early on, unquote. Uh, the works... Uh, Ruthven says, uh, the workshops aim to empower teachers to address seemingly innocuous behaviours, language and assumptions about gender, which can harm both boys and girls in later life. Quote, we say in our training that equal pay starts with equal pay, a equal play. Uh, so it can be, so it can even be things like paying attention to who we're encouraging to cuddle or nurture uh, their toys or who is being taught to be dominant while they're playing, she says. In Ruthven's eyes, targeting primary school is key. By the time students reach secondary school, quote, it might actually be too late, unquote, to counter misogynistic attitudes. 
Ideally, most campaigners would like to see teaching on misogyny embedded in every lesson, every stage of the curriculum, rather than being relegated to standalone personal uh, social education. I hate PSE, PSHE. I hated it. I hated it. Why, why am I watching Castaway? Why? Why am I watching Castaway? Riddle me that. God, that pissed me off so much. Uh, what a shish film. Uh, why do you as DOS lessons by students? Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. Quote, I don't think things have dramatically changed from where me, when me and Phoenix were in the age group we're teaching, she says. Uh, quote, uh, there are exceptions in some schools. Champion teachers keen on delivering quality RSE do amazing things for their students, says Spicer. Yet for those students without a champion teacher or third-party group like Shower UK, anecdotal evidence suggests that the quality of RSE is paltry. Quote, it might just be a few slides outlined in, outlined in what a healthy relationship is, followed by a short discussion. They might do that once at 13 and then again at 16, Spicer says. The fact that universities have introduced consent classes tells you everything. I think it's really poor. It suggests that 18-year-olds have never learned this stuff in school, she adds. In Phoenix, Spice, uh, in Phoenix and Spice's experience, teachers and students alike are incredibly keen to learn, and responses to their classes have been overwhelmingly positive. In one instance, Phoenix classes, uh, Phoenix's class was interrupted by pupils uh, trying to sneak in from a different lesson in the building. Uh, without more support and a national education strategy, however, making a dent in tackling misogyny and BAGW and meaningful scale be a tall order, they say. There's a fear echoed by Burley, who says that little has changed in education since Everard's murder, with focus placed on personal safety for women instead of teaching boys and men why they shouldn't compromise that safety. Quote, when someone comes up with an app for tracking men who follow women home, uh, we can have a different conversation. Women's safety can't be fixed with street, la- street lamps or apps, she says. Uh, for Burley, Spicer of Phoenix and Ruthven, uh, education is the key puzzle in tackling the problem of misogyny in society as a whole. Their fear, however, it is that it takes a catastrophic incident to get policymakers to act- actually to sit up and take notice. Quote, I'm really worried that the only times we'll get interest in tackling this issue is when something really horrible happens, like Sarah's murder. Spicer says, education just doesn't seem to be on the agenda at the moment, unquote. Alright, so that's the entirety of the article, and, uh, you know, I've kind of stretched for time on that one, but I kind of wanted to get that one out um, fully. I feel like um, it's generally important to do so. And honestly, I was, I, was, I was reading it, I was just like, wow, that's literally what I say for racism. <laughs> it's like, if you if you just teach the youth early about, you know, just, uh, you know, how, uh, you know, just about racism and stuff like that, um, you know, just societal issues and societal ills, right? Because this is, these, these are chronic illnesses. Misogyny is a chronic illness. Uh, racism is a chronic illness. Uh, if you're, if they're, and if they're taught this at primary school level, then, you know, this, it's just going to be a lot of, you know, if you put the groundwork, it's all about foundations. If you have the foundations of not, of asking boys not to be a dick, um, you know, albeit maybe down the line, then you're good. Like it's not, but you know, you know what they're gonna say? Oh, well, why are we bullying? Why are we bullying our boys? You know what I mean? Why are we bullying our boys? Why are we bullying white, well, our, our white children uh, to feel bad? Yeah, you know, that's the exact road they're gonna go down. Trust me, exactly. If you ever see this in like the House of Commons or whatever being talked about, if they're gonna do some widespread education um, on misogyny, oh my gosh, imagine it's gonna be. It's just gonna be that. It's gonna be like. Oh, but why should boys feel shame? They're they're only children. They're only seven years old. It's like no, 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 no. That's not you. you you're missing the point once again. You're being obtuse once again. But uh, anyway, let's let's uh, let's continue and zoom out and move on to a more overall segment.
So we're talking about education and let's get into a bit of societal uh, conversation as well. Um, so this is a piece uh, via Navarra Media by Miss uh, Shanice McBean. Uh, it's called The Police Are the Domes- Domestic Abusers of the Nation. Um, so yeah, you can see where she stands. <laughs> let's jump right in. Uh, John Apter has had a busy year. In May, the National Chair of the Police Federation gave evidence in support of the Police Crime and Sentencing in Courts Bill. Uh, the bill simultaneously seeks to protect police uh, police from scrutiny and accountability while giving them more powers to target marginalised community. Obviously, that's something we've been talking about on this pod work for a few we- uh, for a few months now. Um, uh, you know, intermittently. Uh, while officers. Uh, will be protected if they kill someone uh, driving dangerously black boys and men will endure suspicion less stop and suspicion less suspicion less there's a dash in there but I don't know suspicion less suspicion less Uh, stop and searches through new serious uh, violence reduction orders by October Apter was allegedly assaulting women at work functions and apparently this wasn't his first rodeo he is currently the subject of multiple accusations of sexual violence you can't write it, can you? You can't write the script. Uh, the past 12 months have been a watershed, uh, watershed for revelations of the misogynistic rot within British policing, culminating in the recent departure of Met Chief Cressida Dick. Uh, of course, this is a new story. Police victim blaming led to serial rapist John Warboys uh, being free to sexually, assault, uh, sexually abuse women. The Sapphire Unit, now a now-defunct specialist unit designed to support survivors of sexual violence, was caught shelving rape reports, uh, letting perpetrators walk free. But the crescendo, the moment that spoke to the entire nation and cemented the crisis had, that had been brewing since the Black Lives Matter protests in summer 2020, was the events that unfolded after Sarah Everard was kidnapped, raped and murdered by a serving Metropolitan Police officer. On the day Wayne Cousins was sentenced, Metropolitan Police Commissioner Cressida Dick claimed that, quote, his actions were a gross betrayal of everything policing stands for, quote, this is a, th- a curious claim given what we now know about the events that led to Everard's death during Cousins' trial. Uh, it transpired that he had been nicknamed the rapist by my, my colleagues. Uh, more to the point, his colleagues did nothing. He brought sex workers to work functions. His colleagues did nothing. He shared sexist messages with colleagues on WhatsApp. They did nothing. And even after the grisly details of his abuse and manipulation of Everard came out, colleagues went to court to provide him with character references. As Koshka Duff uh, recently wrote of her own experience of sexual assault by the police, the force is quick to close ranks around perpetrators. Some say this is a problem with the individuals. A few bad apples. Let's have a look at the whole barrel then. 750 Metropolitan Police officers have been accused of sexual misconduct since 2010. Of these, 80, only 83 were sacked. In the four years leading up to 2020, more than half of officers subject to disciplinaries for sexual misconduct stayed on the job. Channel 4 has revealed that domestic abusers who are also police officers are a third less likely to be convicted than the general public. Even former Scotland Yard Deputy Assistant Commissioner David Gilbertson has described domestic abuse within the police as, quote, epidemic, unquote, far from being a, quote, unquote, betrayal, as Dick would like us to believe. Everard's murder is the extreme end of a spectrum of sexual and gendered violence in the culture of British policing. Uh, but what is it about policing that makes it so attractive to abusers? Women's aid defines coercive control as, quote, an act or a pattern of acts of assault, threats, humiliation, and intimidation, or other abuse that is used to harm, punish, or frighten their victim, unquote. The sexual and domestic violence sectors, off the back of grassroots uh, feminist activism, have done great work to highlight the central role coercive control 
Yeah, central role, coercive control plays in patterns of abuse. That sounded weird to me, I don't know. Uh, but organisations within these sectors have, having had to professionalise, uh, often as charities uh, to compete for government funding, excuse me, have largely become depoliticised. Within these depoliticised spaces, coercive and controlling our behaviour uh, simply beca- becomes the means through which individual men exert their power. What is lost is a wider critique of how ordinary social life is saturated in coercion uh, and control in institutions tasked with protection, principally the police, but increasingly also schools, hospitals, and other welfare institutions. We're just talking about schools right there. It's good, good link. Um, are key places where violence, coercion, and control are reproduced. The Metropolitan Police Service was founded in 1829 in a volatile climate for the ruling elite, where the organised industrial working class was on the march and the threat of social revolution was in the air. The police were created to stamp out this threat. Coercion and control are at the very core of their existence. That's actually a fascinating like l- thread right there. I was actually really... Uh, I, I never really thought about it like that, but yeah, it's kind of fascinating. Uh, the police fundamentally differ uh, from other emergencies, uh, emergencies services uh, as they are the only ones legally sanctioned to use coercive and controlling behaviour as part of their daily work. Stop and search, arrest, strip search, use of force, detention, mandatory questioning, all could be described as abusive if one civilian did it to another. But this is precisely how police interact with marginalised communities on a daily basis. Let's look at stop and search. In 2016, government research into the impact of increasing stops across London between 2008 and 2011 found it had, quote, no discernible crime-reducing effects, unquote. The vast majority of stop and searches ended no further action. Stop and search isn't effective at stopping crime. Police know this, but perhaps this isn't the point. An inquiry has been launched as a 14-year-old black boy was has accused the Met of stopping him 30 times in two years. He has spoken candidly about how the experience of repeated stops has, le- has left him paranoid about leaving the house. And this is an isolated experience. In the first three months of lockdown in 2020, when far fewer people were on the streets, the Met carried out 22,000 searches of young black boys, a figure equivalent to 25% of all young black boys in London. This is a pattern of behaviour that targets black men and boys for intimidation, humiliation, isolation, threats and violence. It strips black boys of their personhood by telling them again and again that they are not the person they think they are. They are a criminal. This is the blueprint of coercive control, of abuse, and this is the behaviour police are legally empowered to repeat day in, day out. Policing theorists in the US have a concept of uh, condition response, a repeated exposure to stimuli that elicits a trained response designed to turn cops into warriors, uh, quote-unquote. Uh, is it any surprise that violent strip searches against women and pointing guns in black children's faces might corrupt someone's view of other humans? Uh, that they might take this dynamic elsewhere? Is it any surprise a man like Everard's murderer would be attracted to this kind of power? Or that his colleagues, knowing his capacity for abuse, did nothing for years? In Apter's evidence uh, to the PCSC uh, committee, uh, he refers to catching the baddies. Several months later, he was caught himself. Policing exists on a spectrum of coercing and controlling behaviour, and as a coercive control, and as coercive control is about power, it is unsurprising victims of this behaviour often hold less power in society. Women, sex workers, black folk, the poor, often, of course, not every officer is a murderer like cousins, but every officer operates within a murderous system. The idea that we can reform this abuse, tinker around the edges of coercive control, is absurd. The only solution is abolition. Okay, so 
big hot take at the end there um, after <laughs> after briefly saying not every murderer is a murderer like cousins um, <laughs> after doing a whole article you know just uh, you know uh, monop- not monopolizing a uh, uh, monolithing uh, the whole you know concept of the metropolitan police and uh, and uh, you know that last bit about um, you know abolition interesting um I mean, yeah, this is, I mean, that last bit obviously uh, references, uh, you know, uh, defund the police, abolish the police, obviously, you know, that kind of thing was very uh, broad and, you know, people obviously, when you're not specific, um, a lot of people just argue for months and months about it, use it as a straw man and then end up just eradicating it and making the whole thing meaningless, same way with the word woke, same way with BLM, uh, you know, obviously it's just been... And and we thought Black Lives Matter was very simple, but here we are. What does that mean? What does that, what does that mean? Oh, fucking hell, it's not hard. Um, anyway, um, you know, when when stuff like that is obviously mentioned, uh, you know, maybe maybe some people, maybe some of your asses tightened a little. Maybe maybe you got a bit of lemon booty from that. Abolish police. Like, you know what I mean? Just calm down, calm down. Let's think about it, because. I mean, yeah, you know, have a thought about it. Have a quick thought about it. Just sit down, just calm down, have a think about ab- abolition of police. Interesting. I'm maybe not, I maybe haven't gone that far. Um, I haven't done research on that front, so I can't really put my opinion on it because it just sounds weird just having no police. Um, but when I heard about defund the police, I'm here all here for that because I'm also here for defunding the military as well because we have all of these uh, domestic issues and uh, and then we have so many billions into the defense budget and it makes no sense. We're not America. This, 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 we're not we're not there all the all the fucking time, right? We're not doing war, but we are doing war. Um, you know, go look up go look up Yemen. Just just go look it up. Just go look up Yemen. And uh, just understand understand that we have a hand in all of that. Um, so, and I've talked about that before, anyway. Um, but yeah, obviously the the last sentence was a bit of a bit of a hot 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 mama to a uh, hot phrase to um, you know just uh, spice the whole dish up a bit um, and uh, leaves me a bit like uh, going. Uh, 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 um, but honestly, the whole thing is. V- I mean, that initial thread uh, in in the middle right there that was very fascinating. I really uh, took took towards that. I, was, I didn't really think of it like that. But yeah, coercion, all of that stuff is fascinating. Um, and uh, <sighs> yeah, man. I mean, linking that to obviously what we we're talking about before. Um, I've always i've I've been saying recently in past years that there's a few. There's like three, four reasons people do policing, right? lack of power they don't have power and they want it uh money which is probably a rarity um especially in like a you know policing general policing just being a pc um probably not uh but you know power definitely sense of belonging i think that's also one um but you know when you're in a when you're in a community where some dude is called the rapist on whatsapp and that's fine to you uh fine to them you might want to get out of that community just a thought So I hop into health, and uh, this was something that I, as a dude, I genuinely wasn't aware of. Um, so I think this is very fascinating, and I'm sure uh, you know 
me and along with uh, some other people could learn something from this or, or are learning or going to learn from this. Um, so this is uh, how pills by post revolutionized reproductive health care. Um, this is via Dazed and it's by Ella Glover. Um, let's jump right in because this is a fascinating concept. The start of pandemic saw a win for many women across the UK. The introduction of the abortion pills by post scheme. The service allows people in the early stages of pregnancy up to 10 weeks to have the two pills required to end pregnancy delivered to their door following a telephone or e-consultation with the doctor. Under the scheme, people could carry out their abortion safely and legally at home without needing to attend a clinic. However, the scheme was always meant to be temporary, and last month the Public Health Minister Maggie Throop confirmed that it would be scrapped from September this year after a a six-month extension. The decision has sparked outrage among campaigners, not least because in its first quarter the scheme drastically decreased early medical abortion wait times to two days, a difference of 50% compared with 2019. The scheme was clearly working, an initial report from the British Pregnancy Advisory uh, Service, BPAS, uh, showed that uh, 97% of clients were satisfied or very satisfied with their experience in the service. Uh, Megan, uh, all the, the, they all have asterisks on the article, so their names obviously have changed for, uh, you know, obviously, uh, obvious reasons. Uh, they used the pills by post schemes in May 2021. Quote, I don't think my anxiety would have allowed me to go to an appointment as sometimes, as I sometimes get anxiety so badly that I cannot leave the house, she says. I was almost scared into not having the abortion purely out of fear of judgment, but I was unfortunately not in a place where I could afford to have a child and I was not extra emotionally ready, unquote. That is just a rock and a hard place just thinking about that, by the way. Just, yeah, continuing on. Uh, she said it took around a week for her to build up the courage to contact BPAS. Uh, another quote, they were incredibly helpful and the nurse over the phone was very kind, says Megan. She gave me very detailed instructions and sent them to me uh, in an email as well as numbers for counselling services. I was able to take both pills when I was comfortable and ready, unquote. Uh, Leah, another name changed, obviously, uh, who used service who used the service in November 2021, also suffers with anxiety. Quote, the relief I felt when I knew that I didn't need to go into a clinic or sit in the doctor's office was indescribable, uh, she tells Dazed. I suffer with anxiety anyway, so to know I could go through something so intense and potentially traumatic in the comfort of my own home and space really made me feel at ease, unquote. As well as helping those who suffer with anxiety, the scheme provided a lifeline uh, to those who don't live close to a clinic and are unable to travel to one by car. People on no income, full-time carers and parents with no childcare support. Another quote, I began to feel pain around 20 minutes after taking the first pill, Megan explains. If I had gone to an appointment, this would have prevented me from driving home due to the uh, due to buses taking 20 to 30 minutes. I could potentially have the embarrassing experience of heavy pain and blood loss on the bus. Uh, Excuse me. Uh, not only, uh, I'll end a quote. Not only would this have been embarrassing, uh, it would have been doubtless traumatic. Uh, another quote. I was bed bound for the whole day due to pain, and the thought of having to experience that process starting while in public is horrifying to me. Unquote. The decision also threatens the ability of people in domestic abuse situations to access abortion healthcare. Elizabeth Hart, a domestic abuse survivor and business owner, uh, said the decision to scrap the scheme will have devastating consequences for women in abusive relationships. She tells Days, quote, When your world is made so small and restrictive, the benefits of being able to access an abortion pill by post is life-changing. From my own experience, the impact of having children with an abuser is that even when they have no interest in the children, they can and will use the children as a weapon and continue to abuse you. The scheme has has significant benefits to women and young women, uh, and scrapping it highlights the government's ability to understand women's needs. She continues, for vulnerable women, this could have life-changing consequences, unquote. 
Uh, restriction to abortion pills by post won't force people into unwanted pregnancies, as if someone wants to terminate the pregnancy, they will find a way, safe and legal or not. Quote, prior to the introduction of telemedicine, on average two minute, two minute a day uh, saw illegal online abortion medication due to barriers access, accessing, accessing in clinic care, including women experiencing domestic violence who couldn't risk attending an appointment or for fear that their abuser would discover their pregnancy, and also women caring for disabled children, explains Catherine O'Brien, Associate Director of Communications and Campaigns at BPAS. Uh, another quote, since abortion remains a crim- in criminal law, ending a pregnancy using pills purchased online remains a crime carrying a sentence of up to life imprisonment, she continues. <laughs> okay. Um, if the government, Jesus Christ, if government does revoke per- uh, permission for telemedicine in August, women would once again turn to illegal online pills, unquote. She adds that abortion services will not cope if the scheme is scrapped and that all women are forced to return to clinics or hospitals regardless of clinical necessity, another quote. Uh, there will be very uh, serious escalation in waiting times and staffing pressures, forcing women to undergo later surgical procedures to deliberately compel services to run in a manner which is as efficient when there is no clinical or ethical reason to do so, seems to uh, be both indispe- indefensible and inexplicable, unquote. In a statement, the Department of Health and Social Care said, quote, Domestic abuse was raised as an issue in the public cons- consultation that sought views on whether to make measures permanent, and we intend to work closely with the violence against women and girls sector and the Domestic Abuse Commissioner to ensure safeguarding and domestic abuse are central to ongoing work. The well-being and safety of women requiring access uh, to abortion services has been and will continue to be our first and foremost priority, unquote. The bills by post scheme are invaluable, particularly to the 2,000 people a week who have used the service since the start of the pandemic. As Megan says, quote, the scheme saved me from an unwanted pregnancy that could have changed my life. And I am very grateful I was able to have the option. The ecosis, I can't even imagine what I would have done if this scheme didn't exist. Uh, it provided such a necessary lifeline to me and so many women accessing this type of healthcare, unquote. So yeah, I was, um, I've, I mean, as a single, as a single dude, um, I had no awareness of this um, being a thing. I didn't realize there was such a thing. Um, but just logically breaking it down, it makes complete sense. Um, obviously the anxiety side of it, the embarrassment side of it, I can understand and, uh, and, uh, empathize with, uh, for sure. You know, just, uh, I mean, I mean, there's plenty of, uh, there's been plenty of like, uh, TV shows that have, you know, done, have tackled that kind of thing. Uh, one notable to me is, uh, an episode of Dear White People, I think it's like season two or three where, um, I think it was Coco was, um, uh, was pregnant and she had to. She just needed help to just go to the clinic, right? And it was a very raw and very um, interesting uh, episode, um, just tackling that kind of thing of you know not of being pregnant, not wanting to be, but you know also, um, you know the whole episode was kind of like what if I kept the child, and you know kind of that imagination thing, you know um, that some ep- that some shows do. And it was just very raw and very fascinating. So that's kind of like what I think about, what I was thinking about when when it comes to this. And the fact that you can cut that all off. And again, saying, uh, during the middle of the article, saying um, that, you know, if you go back, then, you know, people would have to have, like, appointments and stuff like that. And, you know, the NHS is as strained as it is like do we really need if if we can do this if the if they can do this shit over the phone now or by post technically um why not why not do it you know what i mean um 
you have to be just incredible. I, f- I feel like these decisions have to, have to be incredibly logical. You, if, if you don't need to be in the room, if you don't need to travel to a clinic, and again, the fact that, you know, people having blood loss at, in 20 minutes in, like, bro, you need to run the fuck home like, and and prepare. Like, But obviously some of them can't. Some might have to get the bus and wait for the bus. Imagine just having all that at the bus. Like, no way, no way, no way, not happening. Um, they should, on, if they're going to, if they have to do this, if they have to go back, then you need, you need to give the women a space to just, I don't know, uh, have have the effects, right? Um, but obviously that, you know, you can't give them a hotel room or anything. So either way, um, you know, that logic doesn't track. Um, so I can only imagine, I can only think, I can only come to the conclusion that um, pills by post just makes complete sense and uh, they really should do that. And, you know, I've, I love how the Department of Health and, Edu- Health and uh, Social Care was saying all that stuff. But it's just like, yeah, but you're not, yeah, but you're not going to do anything. Are you? You're just going to make, a, you're going to make women go back to clinics and for some of them make them go uh, uh, resort to illegal uh, means and now that I'm thinking about it I'm just like how many women have gone through the illegal means and have just like con- continue with their lives it's fascinating to think about um, just, just just thinking about that uh, but yeah shout out the pills by post that shit should continue like just logically just makes complete sense um, you know, it's a great option, and uh, obviously, women just need more options on that front. I feel, um, and I feel most people can agree with that. We'll finish off with the with the segment on the arts, and this is all about Miss Marilyn Stafford, um, who is a legendary photographer, uh, celebrity photographer, plenty of other things, globe trotting, all of that. Um, this is by Mr. Simon Hattonstone uh, via the Guardian, and it's called Einstein was smiling at me. Photographer Marilyn Stafford, '96 on celebrities, slums, and breakfast with Edith Piaf. Um, so yeah, just um, I just wanted to leave it on something reasonably positive on a on, on an interesting woman um that i've never heard of until now and uh you know just fascinating to think about um and uh yeah i just want because obviously you know i've kind of <laughs> it's interesting how i've done this uh women-centric episode and you know majority of it has been you know about women either dying or at the hands police or misogyny or you know abortions which obviously isn't what women all women are about and I kind of, uh, you know, retroactively kind of wish I had some more uh, alternatives on that front. Um, but it's just what I found and uh, it's what I find interesting. Um, but, um, yeah, I thought, you know, I, th- I feel like this suffices. But, you know, you- you're free to disagree and uh, say I could have done better on the on the subject front. But anyway, let's, let's jump right into this. Marina Stafford's career was hardly un- unsuccessful. Uh, the pioneer photographer quietly documented much of the 20th century. Slums, celebrities, war zones, world leaders, everything. But she had never has never been celebrated like she is today. After the exhibitions dedicated to her fashion and street photography, uh, reportage, is it reportage? I think that's what you say. And portraiture, Bryan Museum is paying tribute to her with a full retrospective. The 96-year-old tells me that she can't believe what has happened. 
not least because she st- uh, stored her photographs in shoeboxes under her bed for decades and pretty much forgot about them. Stafford is on the short side, five foot uh, one in uh, at her peak, glamorous, serious-minded, and a huge amount of fun. And boy, does she have stories. Even her stories have stories. So we start in the Great uh, Depression, when she was a little girl walking to the big department store downtown in Cleveland, Ohio, with her mother. She noticed that a girl ahead of her was not wearing shoes, and asked why. My mother said, quote, my mother said, probably because the family can't afford them, and I think that was one of my early eye-openers on reality, unquote. By the way, she says her mother lived to 103, at which point she died of vanity. Unquote. <laughs> she would have gone on more, but she was afraid to have her cataracts done, and was going deaf. My mother was so vain, she wouldn't wear a hearing aid, and she, and she said, when I can't see and can't hear anymore, I will kill myself. When she couldn't see and couldn't hear, she just stopped eating, unquote. Stafford has a bit habit of telling macabre stories uh, with relish. She is zoomed from her home in West Sussex. Her red lipstick is perfectly coordinated with her red glasses. Her hair is a magnific- magnificent white bob, and she looks gorgeous. These days, she is partially sighted, so her daughter, Lena Clark, is here to help uh, with technology. I asked Stafford if she lives alone. She sounds horrified. Quote, no, I have a cat called Minouche, but I call her Minou for short. <laughs> okay. Already hilarious. Stafford grew up in a middle class family. Her father, a pharmacist who had emigrated from the Baltics as a young boy. Her mother, a great beauty who dreamed of being a lady. Uh, when she was young, her parents hoped she would be the next Shirley Temple and sent her to bed with curling wrappers in her hair. Did she want to be the next Shirley Temple? Quote, not me. I hated it. It was so painful to sleep on those, on those things, unquote. But she did like acting, and between the ages of 10 and 18, trained at the Cleveland Playhouse alongside Paul Newman and Joel Gray. Quote, I learned the Stanislavski method. Uh, I think I'm probably the only Stanislavski uh, photographer around, she giggles, or was. She studied drama at university, paying her way by working at a local defence plant. Stafford was so convincing in one role, playing a nasty girl in a Lillian Hellman play, that her boyfriend said she must be innately obnoxious and dumped her. Quote, maybe he was just making an excuse, she says. <laughs> in New York, she played a few cameos in on-off, uh, in off-Broadway productions, but struggled as an actor. Then, serendipity took a hand. In 1948, two friends were making a documentary about Albert Einstein at his home in Princeton, New Jersey. They invited Stafford to go along with them and asked if she would take his photo. She had used her parents' box brownie, but nothing more. Quote, That's when I was given my first 35mm camera. I was just thinking, oh my god, they've given me a camera I've never used before. I was terrified. Terrified. I go numb at moments like that. All I was aware of uh, was that I had to focus and click the shutter. Unquote. Uh, her photos of the great physicist are wonderful. He's smiling, crumpled, inquisitive, and human. In one photo, he looks as if he's listening intently. Quote, Yes, he had asked how many feet per second go through the camera, and the director explained to him he was very serious about it, and he said, Ah, yes, now I understand. Thank you very much. Unquote. What's, the behind, what's behind the lovely smile in the other picture? Quote, I'd like to think he was smiling at me, Stafford says. At 23, she set off uh, for Europe. Yeah, on the back of her another strange story, quote, my friend found out her husband was having an affair. He told her to go home to her mother while he sorted himself out. She said, no way, I'm going to take a trip to Paris and I'm taking Marilyn with me and you're going to pay for it, which she did. <laughs> oh, that's outstanding. Uh, in Paris, she got a job singing as part of an ensemble uh, at a prestigious dinner club, Chaise Carrière. 
bottle with that. Um, <laughs> apparently, the only club uh, the newly married Princess Elizabeth was allowed to visit. Uh, she must have had uh, huge confidence to be taking photos of Einstein one minute, singing in top club the next. Quote, I don't know if it's confidence. It's what's called in Yiddish, schutzpah. You just do it. Unquote. At the club, she befriended singer Eddie Constantine, who was dating Edith Piaf. Uh, Stafford found herself or part of PF's extended entourage, regularly invited to her home for breakfast, along with Constantine and Medi and the Medi wives. W A I F S wives 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 probably wives in it. Uh, strays and celebs who shared her home. Charles as as Lavour uh, occupied an attic room. While well, the wife uh, and children of PF's former lover Marcel Serdan. Uh, a boxing world champion who had been killed in an air crash also lived there. There is a fabulous photograph of Piaf in the book uh, that accom- accompanies the exhibition, dressed in white and laughing, the opposite of how you'd expect to see her. Quote, That's why I like the photograph, Stafford says, because she's laughing, and she did laugh. Unquote. During the day, she would take the bus from the left bank to the end of the line, where she photographed people in the slums of Billancourt, uh, some pictures are heartbreaking, such as a homeless woman asleep in a child's buggy. Other joyous, such as cheeky kids reveling in the camera's attention. These photos tell story in a single frame. Meanwhile, her fashion photography is stylish and funny. Because she was technically inept, she avoided studios and took her models onto the streets. In one picture, a beautiful model stands outside the Louvre in a long white coat, brolly in one hand, high heels in the other, and feet splayed. Think Marilyn Monroe meets Charlie Chaplin. And, uh, fo- and there's a couple of these photos um, described here on the, on the article if you want to go peep yourself. They are actually genuinely very good. I actually really like them. Uh, in Paris, uh, she befriended pre- photographers and uh, Magnum co-founders Robert Kappa, David Chim Seymour, and Henri Cartier-Bresson. Uh, Kappa asked her why men always cried rather than nibbled on her... <laughs> Sorry, I have to say this again. Kappa asked her why men always cried rather than nibbled on her shoulder. Okay, random. Uh, quote, to this very day, the same thing happens. Lots of men cry on my shoulder, unquote. Why should have, why should have liked Kappa to nibble on her shoulder? Quote, I must say Kappa was a very, very attractive and I would have dearly loved to have more than a friendship with him. But he was older than me and I think he wanted more sophisticated women than me, unquote. Okay, right, okay. I, I was extremely confused what shoulder nibbling meant, but yeah. That makes sense. Okay. That's... <laughs> <laughs> just 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 leave my naivete out of this okay just, just leave it I, it's just weird how it just went from like that to nip, cry on shoulders to nibbling it's, i don't know anyway uh just because she said shagging right it's, you know could have made the point but by romance i guess uh chivalry was there back was in back then all right instead uh, you, do, ladies 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 do you like your shoulder nibbles <laughs> <laughs> Let me know. Uh, instead, Kappa encouraged her to take photographs and suggested she become Seymour's assistant. Quote, I don't like carrying heavy things and I was a coward, terrified to go into a war zone, so I turned down that generous offer. That's lucky, I say. Uh, yes, both Chim and Kappa got killed. <laughs> so, so blunt. I fucking love it. Oh, gosh. What an outstanding woman this is. Uh, she adored Cartier-Bresson. I asked what she learned from him. Quote, I think I learned quietness. Not to be obvious as a photographer. He would shoot without you knowing. I remember sitting at a cafe with him and he had a camera in his lap and he saw a photograph he wanted. So he lifted the camera up, not to his face, just off his lap and took a photograph. I like doing that actually, personally. 
just, you know, random thing I'll let say. Uh, did she use that technique? Quote, no, I was not as clever as him. I just put the camera up and took pictures, unquote. She sounds like the most basic woman ever. It's just great, but it's just, it's kind of hilarious just how she's just, I don't know, just uh, is brutally honest about just how basic she actually is. It's kind of, I don't know, it's very refreshing. Um, Stafford is uh, uh, being unduly on- modest. Uh, she literally, um, she had a wonderful eye. In 1956, she married a foreign correspondent and moved around the world with his job. In Italy, she took a memorable photograph of Francesca uh, Serio, a labourer and activist who became the first person to sue the Sicilian Mafia after they killed her son. Serio has an astonishing presence. In one photo, her face shines beautifully. Oh, sorry. Beatif. I'm sure that says beautifully, but it says beatifically. That that can't be a word. That simply cannot be a word. Beatific. Oh, right. It's a word. Beatific. Bestowing bliss, blessings, happiness, or the like. Fuck me then. All right. Well, get shit on me. All right. Shines beatifically out of the blackest background. In another, her gaze is harsh and single accusatory finger is raised. When Stafford uh, was six months pregnant with Lena, she travelled to Tunisia to document people in refugee camps who had fled uh, France's scorched earth policy in Algeria. Now, she says, she looks at these photographs of refugees and thinks of Ukraine. Quote, I just feel sick and sad all the time. It breaks my heart, unquote. One portrait of a mother and a child bears a striking resemblance to Dorothea Dorothea Lang's Dust Bowl images. She holds her baby tenderly, but her eyes are a thousand miles away. Cartier-Bresson sent this set of photos to the Observer, and two were published on the front page. It resulted in the Observer sending a reporter to cover the story of refugees. Stafford began to feel that her photos could serve a purpose. Um, and there's also photos of Twiggy and Lee Marvin here. It's quite good. Uh, she has always had a gift of taking photographs of people, particularly women, that poses that pose questions. Uh, women that pose questions. Sorry. Her subjects often seem far away, in reverie or despair. Whether it's the woman with the baby in Tunisia or Joanna Lumley, Sharon Tate and Twiggy back in swinging 60s London. Throughout 1960, she photographed everyday life in Lebanon. Uh, the pictures were intended for a book, but the publisher thought that there was too much grit and not enough glamour. It took 30 years to get the pictures published. Quote, you don't earn a living that way, do you? Unquote. <laughs> Certainly don't. Stafford and her husband separated when Lena was young. He went to work in Moscow. She came to London. As a female photographer, she, always, she had always been in a tiny minority. Now, as a single mother, balancing work with bringing up Lena was even tougher. Five years ago, she established the annual manor... Man- Marin and Stafford Photo Reportage Award for Female Photographers. Quote, it was with the aim of letting women have a little extra money that would help them in the event that they had to care for children and pay for that care or any number of reasons they might have. Unquote. Her commercial work, uh, she, uh, brackets here, she ran a fashion agency with a French photographer, Michel Arnaud. I love how just things like that are in brackets, just, you know, just random stuff. Um, subsidized more personal foreign trips to India, where she spent a month following the Prime Minister in Indira Gandhi, uh, in 1972, she travelled to the new country of Bangladesh with the intention of taking portraits of some of the estimate, somebody estimated more than 200,000 Bengali women and girls raped by Pakistani soldiers in the Liberation War. Stafford returned home defeated. Quote, The eyes of the people I, had, I met had uh, a look of such terror in them. Everybody. And I wanted to, I wanted so much to get the feeling and I never did. I photographed an awful lot of faces and eyes, but I just wasn't able to capture it. 
unquote. Uh, she had photographed people fleeing the war in Algeria, but this was different. Another quote. Bangladesh was the first time I had seen the ravages of war firsthand, and it marked me terribly because I was a real innocent. It's one thing to read about war and see somebody else's photographs, but to actually be there and see it, and I didn't even go through the war, I just saw the after effects, unquote. Did it change her as a photographer? Quote, it did in a way, because when I returned, I was offered a full-time job on a fashion publication, and I turned it down. I didn't want to spend my life taking fashion photographs when there was much more going on in the world, unquote. Stafford retired in her mid-50s. In her 70s, she married a Portuguese man who loved a tango and shared her values. He had been an active anti-fascist under Salazar dictatorship. Uh, they moved to Sussex, where she organised poetry trials and got involved in a literary festival. Although she died a few years ago, she has kept herself busy. Although he died a few years ago, sorry. Um, she has kept herself busy, sorting out the shoeboxes under her bed and getting her archive in order. Um, and there's a picture of her here. Yes, nice. Um, uh, with the sunglasses, uh, with the glasses and lipstick as well, as uh, described in the f- first paragraph. Um, she has done this with the support of documentary photographer Nina Emmett, who has co-curated the exhibition with Lena and edited the accompanying book. Again, serendipity had a part to play. Stafford sought out Emmett after seeing a pho- photographic project curated on uh, by her on the streets of Brighton, and Emmett fell in love with Stafford's photography. Quote, Ian has organised a group of people in Brighton called the Marilyn Stafford Working Group, whose aim is to promote my photography. It's unbelievable. Uh, unquote. She really does find it hard to believe that anybody would de- uh, dedicate themselves to championing her work. Now that her photography is displayed in galleries and museums, does she regard it as art? She hoots at the idea. Quote, no. I was working. I was a working photographer. It was a marvelous, delightful way to earn a living. She says, "I was just lucky." Unquote. Um, and uh, just some information here: the Marion Stafford Photo Reportage Award, two thousand pounds, is for female documentary photographers whose work focuses on solutions uh, to important and social environmental issues. So, if you if you fit that bill, go for it. And uh, lastly, uh, the twenty twenty two award launches on March eighth. In celebration, well, it's couple, that was a couple of days ago, in celebration of IWD, International Women's Day, and the exhibition, Marina Stafford Life and Photography, is at the Brighton Museum and Art Gallery uh, until the 8th of May. And the book of the same title is published by Blue Coat Press. So, um, I mean, I'm interested in the book. I'm, I'm going to see what the book is about. Um, see what the was I saying. Um, uh, it, I, I, just, I don't know. Um, so, it's a uh, black and white and colour. Uh, 270 by 290 millimeter landscape, uh, 280 pp. I think that's pages. I'm not sure. Um, and it's only 32 quid. That might be a cop. That might be a cop. I, I'm not sure if I'm going to Brighton, but it might be a cop. So, yeah, man. Just um, I love learning these stories, man. I love learning stories of people like this. It's great. Um, fascinating person. What a life, man. Just think about that. Like, just the amount of countries she went to doing photography, and the amount of photos she took. Um. Yeah, I. The, a life of a photographer is just so fascinating. I don't think I can do it professionally. Honestly, I'm not. I don't think I'm built for it. Um, I'm not sure. Um, I think it's more about the traveling for for uh, than than anything. Like, I I love taking pictures, but uh, I don't know. It's just like I have to be doing something else and a reason to take pictures. If that makes any sense? I don't know. I guess if someone paid me, I wouldn't. I wouldn't mind. You know what I mean? Like, hey, hey, take some pictures here. I I I would say no. You know what I mean? Uh, but yeah, man, what a fascinating woman! What a really fascinating woman! Um, yeah, that was just that was just great. I'm definitely gonna look into the book, um, see if I can cop uh, soon. And uh, yeah, man, I hope that was I hope that was a good finish. Obviously, the whole episode was a bit heavy, 
But um, I think that was a good finish. I think that was a nice uh, palate cleanser, a nice tonic uh, to finish the episode. And with that said, from the Fifth Film Podcast Network, I've been Chai Taylor and this has been What's Good. Intro music has been too much by Vanilla. You can find, uh, you can find the link in the full show notes. Thanks to Joel Breakers for being to use the song. You can find their link in the full show notes. And thanks to Nappy High for being to use Charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And with that said, I hope you all have a good week. Happy International Women's Day, belated. I should always try and do the same. But until the next time. A couple of long reads coming during the week, by the way. Just a note. And with that said, take it easy, ladies and gentlemen.